You are listening to Voces, a Jolt Action political podcast. Jolt Action is the largest Latinx civic engagement organization in Texas, building a movement of young Latinx to transform the Lone Star State. Bienvenidos. Mi nombre es Antonio Arellano, and I lead Jolt Action. On today's episode of Voces, we are talking about climate climate justice, and the fight for our planet. We are running against the time, and time is running out. A new generation of leaders are rising up to fight for our lives. And at the tip of the spear are movements like the Sunrise Movement, who have galvanized and energized a new base of young activists from coast to coast and around the world. Today, to talk about this, I'm being joined by their national spokesperson, J.P. Mejia. Hey, JP, how's it going? Hey, Antonio, it's going well. How are you? I'm doing great. Listen, I know that there is so much going on. A new administration has just been ushered in. I want to know, how are you feeling about the prospects of potential change for climate justice in America? It's very promising. Nonetheless, we are cautiously optimistic, right? We know that the real power comes from people and movements, and that's what we're going in on full force uh, confronting this administration. So we know we have a historic opportunity right now due to the urgency to solve the climate crisis and at the same time create millions of jobs in the process and solve the spiraling crises of our time from COVID to climate to unemployment. And we're really excited about it and we're working hard to get there. You know, it's super inspiring to see so many young people step up and fill this massive void in terms of climate justice, but it didn't have to be that way, right? There has been decades of inaction in terms of climate. Where do you see yourself uh, being the most effective in terms of mobilizing young people for change? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. There have been decades of inaction. We've known about a change in climate and the dangers that come with it for decades now. I mean, like, since the 70s I'm talking about. So more than my lifetime, we have had to deal with this problem, yet still we're here, right? So why are we there? It's not like there hasn't been an environmental movement before. Really, that's the question that Sunrise was asking itself when it first started. Um, We know that indigenous people and BIPOC folks fighting for environmental justice have fought this fight for a very long time, and there are heroes within the community. But the mainstream environmental movement for far too long was concerned with these far-off implications of polar bears and melting ice caps and parts per million of CO2 molecules, things that didn't resonate with people. And the folks that were in this crowd too were predominantly white and more affluent. And it just wasn't a movement that connected with everyday working people, nonetheless, BIPOC people and Latina people and black people. So we really realized that we had to change the game here and bring climate action to the minds and hands of those who it was going of those who it was going to affect first and worst. So Sunrise sort of 
cultivated this movement that was going to say, hey, we have this urgent crisis in our hand. And at the same time, we know that this crisis has been born because we deemed people as disposable. We lean, we deemed land as disposable. And we ultimately have an economy that doesn't work for us. And that's what's fueled the climate crisis. So we developed a new strategy, one that was brave, one that could see a future in which no one is left behind and that could advocate for action that meets the speed, scope, and scale of the crisis. And with that same sentiment from before as well, doesn't leave anyone behind and lets people find themselves in the vision of the solution which is for us a green new deal. Yeah, no, and you talk about the scope and it's a, it's a massive undertaking and you also talk about, you know, a lot of this work being narrative change, right? Allowing people that have historically not seen themselves reflected in this process or impacted by this um, as a part of it and as a part of the solution. Talk to me about this narrative change that uh, Sunrise and movements like yours are, are championing, right? How important is it for young people to be able to see themselves as the change makers Have you been faced with any challenges as you try to advocate for dramatic, bold solutions? Oh, totally. I mean, that's a great question. I think the narrative shift is the hardest yet most successful thing that we've been able to do. Um, You know, before our movement gained a lot of prominence, the question was like, do we believe in climate change? And now it's sort of like, what's your plan? And how far does your plan go to really tackle the scopes of this? And we talk about that word scopes and scale. Let's talk about what that means for a second. So back in 2018, the IPCC, which is like a bunch of letters to just (laughs) allude to this group of scientists that work for the UN, released a report saying that we had 12 years left to act on climate change at a fundamental level in order to avert the worst that a climate catastrophe could bring. And our movement heeded to that urgency. And we said, okay, climate change is very much a crisis that our government has kicked down the road. But at the same time, we also have these other interlinked crises like racial injustice and economic injustice that we've also kicked down the road. And it's not a coincidence that those three are sort of interconnected. So we wanted to develop a new narrative, one that wasn't necessary, while they are important, I love polar bears, that wasn't necessarily talking about these far off implications, but more about people's everyday lives. What would it mean for your family or for your loved ones to be employed in meaningful, purposeful jobs? They're going to build a new economy that works better for you with that job being unionized, high paying and dignified, but for that job to also um, have purpose and inspiring this new new economy that's more sustainable? What would it mean for you to have faith in your government and know that your voice is heard more than those of corporations? What would it mean for you to have access to healthcare in the face of these spiraling crises? What would it mean for your predominantly Black or Latina community to have ownership over that community and the businesses that come into it and the future of it? That was the vision of the Green New Deal. And the key narrative battle in there was we were sort of forging this hero story, right? And in any hero story, there's like certain elements. So who are we? What is it that we're fighting? What's the challenge? What's the choice we're gonna make? And what's the vision on the other side if we make that right choice? And that's what sort of inspired the narrative, right? We wanted to create the largest us 
meaning who are we, the largest us, being a multiracial movement of people across class and race who are young and are fighting for a better future? And who is the them? A handful of people with a lot of power that we can reorient and take ourselves. What is the choice that is before us? That is you know, joining actions and being part of the movement and fighting for a Green New Deal. And on the other side, that vision is what I spoke of, inheriting that future that's much, much more just, equitable and sustainable for us all. So we're really happy that we kicked off that narrative shift. And, you know, your question was also too, like, what were the challenges? When we first kicked this off, we had no credence. No one looked at us seriously. They, a bunch of people in Congress, a bunch of people in industry called us young and naive, even people who were in the environmental justice, in the, sorry, in the environmental movement at the time. And we persisted, right? We didn't let those words get to us. Only two years later, every president, every democratic presidential nominee was asked about the Green New Deal as a litmus test for their action on climate. And today it has formed this current administration's climate plans to a fundamental level. And we're only shooting up from here. And every day we're working harder and harder to make that vision that we once had in this narrative that we came up with a reality for all of us. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, those words that you talked about, young, naive, you know, I would go as far as saying like inexperienced. These are common terms that are used to try to discourage, uh, discredit, up and coming youth led power movements, right? And and I think that we've seen throughout the course of history that it's youth movements that have transformed and revolutionized our country. And those in power would be wise to listen to our bold and fearless young leaders who are showing us the way forward. And we owe them a due diligence to to listen and to act, to make sure that we are recognizing the urgency of this moment. I mean, at the end of this, what we are fighting for is our planet and our livelihoods, right? And, and it's no small task. You also talked about, you know, the importance of good jobs. And I know that Sunrise recently launched a Good Jobs for All Federal Jobs Guarantee project. Can you talk to me a little bit about this national initiative? Totally. And yes, I'm very excited about this. Sunrise's goal is to build loads of support for an unprecedented jobs guarantee program as the common sense solution to act on both our economy and the climate crisis, right? We know that there are going to be important legislative fights in DC around the coming months for COVID relief and recovery, for the federal budget, for infrastructure, all these boring things, right? <laughs> but they are also very meaningful and important things. When we talk about COVID relief, we're talking about funds and relief going to the hands of working regular people that our movement is fighting for. When we're talking about infrastructure creation, we're also talking about job creation. We're talking about retrofitting buildings in America to be more sustainable and carbon free. We're talking about creating new technologies that can be owned by communities. So communities have their ownership over power and having that infrastructure, that new infrastructure, create loads of jobs, which is what we need right now. We're really presented with an opportunity this year. 2020 was rough, rough for all of us. But we also have to realize that 2020 and everything that happened in it from our defense of black lives in the face of injustice, from the pandemic that killed so many people, from 
a historic loss of jobs and a recession, all of these things didn't happen out of the blue or by accident. They're rather symptoms of things that we've been doing long for a very long time. So this moment presents us with an opportunity as this current administration says, to build back better. But we want regular people and people in our movement to define what building back better means. Building back better in a greener way that ensures justice and a livable future for my generation. Building back better in a way that ensures jobs for my generation and loads of people who are unemployed right now and jobs that are high paying and dignified. So that's what the vision of this campaign that we launched is about. It's about really fighting on all fronts the challenges of economic injustice, racial injustice, and climate justice with one big punch to give jobs to everyone who wants them and have those jobs be dignified and building towards a sustainable future. Voices is made possible by listeners like Tu. Please visit jolttx.org donate to help fuel the fight for progressive change in Texas. Now back to Voices. Absolutely. You know, I want to take it back to you, JP. You know, you're clearly very passionate about this. We have a lot of listeners who share your passion for social justice, for climate justice. Can you talk to me about, you know, why you decided to get involved and in, in how you got connected with Sunrise Movements or just with the climate justice movement in America? Mm, that's a good question. I grew up in um, Miami and I'm a first generation uh, Colombian American. All my family's from Colombia. And I used to be, I used to spend every summer in Colombia with my grandparents and they really had the most profound impact on me. They made me fall in love with the world around me. I remember taking loads of trips with them to just like national parks or just even gardening with my grandma. I just loved the natural world. I was always a kid that asked for like science, like those science kits when I was, when I was a kid and like would just pick flowers and bugs and do all sorts of weird things. But anyways, to the point, I was just in love with the world around me. And I was a big science geek at the time too. I, When I was growing up, I really understood from a young age, because I was that science geek, the urgency of the climate crisis. And I understood it as this sort of like scientific schism, like people need to listen to the science right now. And I was planning to go into science before any of this political action stuff. But growing up in Miami made me realize certain things too. And nothing brought me into this fight more than when Hurricane Irma hit Miami. So Hurricane Irma, just as a bit of a refresher, was this storm that intensified to a Category 5 hurricane in no time, basically, and was hurtling straight towards Miami. And my mom and I at the time were really worried, so we ran off to the, fr- to the house of a more Um, affluent friend for more resources and protection and so on, and just waited out the storm there. And thankfully, the storm changed its trajectory and merely brushed over Miami. Nonetheless, when I started going back home, I realized who the people that were impacted were. Those beautiful Miami streets that I love, the ones that take you from Cuba to Haiti in a matter of steps, were like flushed out and really quiet. And I realized that day reminiscing on my own identity as a low-income Latino and looking at like 
our Haitian brothers and sisters and our other Latin American brothers and sisters, that it was those of us who are most marginalized in society today that really pay the consequences, the first and worst that the climate crisis is to bring if we don't act. And that moment was deeply intense and, and politicizing and personal for me. At the same time, I witnessed something beautiful that sort of took me out of that daunting scenario. I saw all of these people who I just mentioned and this like multiracial gathering of people in the aftermath of this storm, taking care of each other and building each other's homes and repairing their communities and owning their communities and making them better because no one else was there to care for them. And that was beautiful. I was like, wow, okay, like science can't, <laughs> science doesn't describe this in the way that I'm seeing it right now, what, what the possibilities are. And a year later, when I heard that IPCC report, the one that said we had 12 years left to act, I felt that intensity and I felt that urgency. And at the same time, the youth movement was kicking off in Europe with Greta Thunberg and, and all of these people leading on climate. And one part of me was just like, I can't wait until Greta Thunberg comes and speaks for my community. Like, why don't we speak about our own community? And so I hadn't ever done anything along the lines of organizing before, but I thought I'd do a school walkout. I was empowered by the March for Our Lives kids and I planned a school walkout. And the day that it happened, I was sort of nervous. I didn't. I thought that I might've been the only one <laughs> that would have walked out, but I wasn't. And 400 fellow students and teachers walked out and I sort of stood that day looking at the crowd like, wow, I have power. And everyone in my generation and everyone in general has power that's just untapped. And after that day, a bunch of groups started reaching out to me and I started reaching out to a bunch of groups. And one of those groups was the Clio Institute that is a local Miami group who I now host a podcast with and do some organizing with. But I also found Sunrise Movement and started my own hub in Miami feeling that same sense of care and urgency and started organizing around that. And ever since I have continued with Sunrise, gotten more involved. Uh, now I share some national responsibilities and duties with them. And it's an uphill battle, but one that um, so far we're winning and that we're going to continue winning. I think more young people are realizing how much power they actually have. I love it. That's such a powerful story. And I love you talking about Colombia and how your grandparents installed in you this appreciation for life, essentially, and for the environment as well. You know, I think that in all of us, our family plays such a pivotal role in that. And I think when you talk about climate, it ultimately comes back to that, right? It comes back to protecting and preserving our planet for our families and for future generations and for those who may come be after us. I, you know, I think that it comes full circle in that, in that regard. There's so much work to be done. And we talked about the scale earlier in terms of climate. As Sunrise sees it, what are some of the priorities? You talked about this uh, constant tick of the clock. What are the priorities for the next couple of years that we need all hands on deck for? Yeah, so that's a great question. And everyone has a role to play, right? Um, and there are key priorities that we really have to be building towards, especially with such urgency. As we know, we've just kicked off our Good Jobs for All campaign. And really, we're inspiring loads of people to start taking action to achieve this vision of what our 
country could be and what our orientation to labor and jobs can be and what building a sustainable future could be. So there are different ways to get involved. You could start your own hub. You could participate in a hub. If maybe climate isn't your thing and you lead on all other fronts, which are really important, like I know loads of Sunrisers work on immigration justice, maybe weave into your conversations how climate justice is a part of it, how climate refugees are a part of it. To answer your question about priorities, Sunrise has a three pillar strategy. And the first pillar that we always build towards is people power. So that means activating a base of people who are ready to take action and escalate to demand a Green New Deal at every level across all of our country. That looks like organizing. That looks like organizing our communities for our causes and our campaigns and so on to achieve our vision. Then there's political power. This is where Sunrise has grown a lot. Political power alludes to the the support for a cohort or a group of candidates who are with our movement, who are essentially staunch movement allies. And that's something that we're building too. So as next elections come up in 2022, we're looking to swoop in a whole new cohort of Green New Deal champions into Congress and so on. And, you know, some of our partners too across our movement are Justice Democrats, like Alexandra Rojas, who I believe you interviewed in a past episode. And lastly, and this is the biggest one, and this is the hardest one to achieve in terms of our priorities, but it's the people's alignment. And that's a really broad and vague sort of thing, but the people's alignment is essentially the idea of what the common sense is. So we want to shift that. We want to shift away from, you know, having a rugged and cheated free market for all people where they have to work endless mind-numbing jobs just to make ends meet. We want to end the alignment that figures that the common sense is politicians who go to bat for corporations more than they do for the people they swear to represent. We want to do away with that alignment. And we want to usher in a new alignment similar to the New Deal alignment that says, we the people have the ability through our movements and through our organizing and through our voices and through our priorities to elect, shape, and govern a government that truly works for us. And not just the government, but every aspect of society. So those are the really like long-term and and vague priorities um, coming up. But key elections in 2022 and 2024 are big shots for our movement, inspiring and growing our base, which is like nearly at 100,000 people at this point to grow more and grow more powerful and change the alignment and the common sense around our country seems to be the top priorities for our movement right now. Nonetheless, acting on the administration that currently exists right now to obey by the targets that are provided to us by science and decarbonize our economy and not only decarbonize it, but decarbonize it in fair ways that work for people. Yeah, I would love to explore that a little bit further in terms of growing the base. You know, there's so many people that want to get involved but are students or have a full-time job or have a child that they're taking care of and they don't know, you know, how much time commitment, you know, this organizing work takes or how to even begin to participate and connect with, you know, grassroots efforts or nationwide efforts. Can you talk to me about the strategy to grow the movement, to build the base? How does one encourage others to do what they can? And what is your 
appeal to young people that are looking for ways to get plugged in? That's a that's a big question, one that, you know, I like to look back on. Organizing and, and building a base is all about tapping back into your humanity and building intentional relationships. And there's no one who did that better than our very own Latino brother, Cesar Chavez, way back when. And building the farm workers movement and building a base of critically enthusiastic people that were ready to take action for a cause was the result of Cesar and a bunch of people in the movement having one-on-ones, which just meant like talking to people as I'm talking to you now and sort of just building a relationship that asks clear questions about what people's self-interest and what their personal stake is in a fight. The fight for a Green New Deal looks very different for many people. The fight for a Green New Deal for me is about protecting the people in places I love in Miami from being swallowed by the oceans or being kicked out by people who want to make a profit off of maintaining land that is above sea level. That's what my fight for me is. But for another person, it might be as simple as leaving their kid a better future, right? For someone else, it might be, even if we're talking about farm workers, it might be creating new agricultural systems that are fairer and and agricultural labor that is more protected and in the hands of workers and investing in local agriculture rather than exploitative large agriculture. But the only way you're going to be able to get people into a fight is by being real personal with them. And the way that you're able to be more personal with them is by having those one-on-ones, by deeply investing in people. No one's going to just like join a fight and join a movement the whole way because they saw like a pretty graphic on their Instagram. I'm a fan of pretty graphics. I love making pretty graphics and I like love people who make pretty graphics. I think that's a whole art in and of itself, but to get someone to realize their stakes and their personal cause and their personal fight for a movement that comes from building intentional relationships. So our strategy in Sunrise is to do just that. We want to do it with predominantly young people but we also know we want to equip those young people to have broader conversations in their community of what that means. A community that's doing this in Appalachia, in coal country, right? That looks very different from a community that's doing it in Miami. A community in California, in paradise, where there were loads of wildfires, that personal stake, that personal fight looks very different than a community in Texas. But all of these overlapping crises that we're facing right now do affect people's lives at a very real personal and material level. And building those intense relationships with them and those very real relationships with them is the ultimate job of an organizer. And it's actually the only way where you build a base and not only just a general base, but a base that is ready to fight because they recognize what it means for them personally to join this fight. And they recognize what for them is on the other side of the fight on what we can achieve. Well, we are so glad that you are in this fight, JP. And I just want to give a quick shout out to your own podcast, House on Fire with the brilliant Gabby Rodriguez. Thank you for all the wisdom that you all drop on your podcast as well. And I want—I just want to say, you know, you've been doing a lot of work over the last couple of years. And as you continue to build, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? It's a great question. I want to leave a better world for the people and places I love. I want to change what it means to be a participant in society and to have a society that works for you. And that legacy 
is the one that I want to leave for all people. And I'm not alone in that. We have movements that are backing us up. There's a choice that we must always make from voiceless inaction to powerful action that we must take. We must take it because the alternative of not taking it is defeat and defeat is too far to bear. And my advice for everyone, not only just like to achieve my own legacy, but you know, to just give people purpose and, and whatever they want to do is just always keep the people and places you love in whatever identity that might mean for you. For me, it's Latino, for me, it's young, but keep them in your heart and act on those instincts. JP Mejia, a leading voice in the climate justice movement in America and around the world. Thank you for joining us. This episode of Voices was recorded at our Jolt Action headquarters in Houston, Texas. We drop new episodes of Voices every other week on Wednesdays. If you like our content, please be sure to subscribe and share. Learn more about our mission to empower the Latinx community in Texas and find out how you can get involved at joltx.org. That's J-O-L-T-T-X dot O-R-G.